Welcome to another episode of Employability Matters, a careers-related podcast where we dive into all topics associated with the world of work. We feature special guests sharing their personal career journey, as well as provide you with job search tips and relatable advice with your host, Sophia Lewis. Joining us today, we have a very special guest and friend of mine, Jamelia Cooper, where she will be sharing her career journey serving in the British Army as a communications systems operator. Jamelia attended the University of West London, achieving a degree in social work. However, she soon discovered that she wanted a more arduous career. So in her final year of university, Jamelia was inspired by an advert encouraging people to join the Army Reserves. Fast forward, she joined the Army Reserves in 2014 and then decided to go full-time and joined the regular Army in 2016. Jamelia is currently serving with the Royal Signals, who are the communication beacon of the Army. Working as a communications systems operator, she operates a variety of communication kits and equipment, such as handheld airwave radio to building portable satellites. In addition, her job role gives her opportunities to take part in ceremonial duties, providing situational awareness for the roles and heads of state. So let's get started. So how are you doing? I am okay. I'm just like everyone else, just trying to keep the head above water with this pandemic that we're going through. But yeah, I can't complain. I'm not too bad. That's good. It's good to see you. Yeah, we definitely have to keep our head above water. And um, it has been a definite struggle and it's been a challenge. But I'm trying to turn this all into like a, t- a positive, you know, to use this opportunity for me for rest and reflection and, you know, to launch projects that have been on the back burner for a few years now. <laughs> So it's all good. It's all good. So you're here and thank you, Jamelia, for accepting to be a guest on the show today, today, today. (laughs) Um, So let's kick off. Um, So what I'd like you to do is to introduce yourself. Okay. So as Sophie said, my name is Jamelia Cooper or Lance Crawford Cooper as I'm known. Um, in my job role um, and I am a part of the British Army in the Royal Signals um, as a communication systems operator. In the British yeah. Army, oh my gosh, you know what I wore for you, I wore the, my Wonder Woman um, oh, shirt yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I, cause I remember you sent me a picture of you, you know, doing I wouldn't call it like a circuit training in your army fatigue and everything. And I was like, whoa, look at this woman, man, seriously. So what does it involve? Like, tell us what is your, what is a Lance Corporal and what are your duties? So basically um, a Lance Corporal in short, um, it's a non-commissioned officer. So for those who don't know, when you join the army, you can be an officer or or a soldier. An officer is also supervisory role and soldiers the ones we're working where the people that actually do the work <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, Lance Corp was a non-commissioned um, officer 
Um, it's the first step um, climbing the ladder in promotion. So you start off, um, when you join the army and you complete your um, training, your basic training, you start off in the role as a private um, or equivalent. So I'm in the Royal Signal. So my basic rank was a signaler. So I was first known as Signaler Cooper. Um, and then you, when you prove yourself or you're competent in your role, you then um, get recommended and then get promoted to Lance Corporal, then Corporal, then Sergeant, and it goes up. You wow. go up the scale. So I've climbed to the first ladder and, and Corporal. So yeah, doing something right. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Oh my gosh. So um, when I think of when you said um, you're private first when you enter into the British Army, my mind went back to is it Private Benjamin that private. film? Yes. With um, Goldie Horn, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So, mm -mm, so my goodness, what type of training did you have to do? Oh my gosh. So um, initially, you start. Um, so you go to um, well, a phase one training establishment. Um, I attended Purbright, um, which is um, in Surrey, I would say, nearabouts, anyways. And um, you go, you attend basic training for three months. And upon arriving, I thought, okay, this is going to be the hardest physical thing I would have ever done. But really, it was more mentally, yeah. um, more of a mental, yeah, training. Because what they do is they break you, as they say. This is the example of the They break you to make you. They're trying to get the civilian person out of you. And, and basically, you start afresh. So it's very arduous, as you can imagine. Um, lots of exercise. Lots of discipline. You've got people shouting at you constantly, so you oh you can't think personally. Especially for myself, joining at a later age, people usually tend to join the army between the ages of sort of eighteen and twenty-one, so the prime age for people to join the army. Yeah. I jo I started my actual training um, at the age of twenty-six. So to be twenty-six years old and being shouted at like a child, um, <laughs> it does take a lot it's of. Hard. It's oh hard. Because, you know, I'm thinking when you just said that how they were trying to break the civilian out of you. My goodness. What does that mean? Breaking a civilian out of you. What does that mean? So that that tendency of like questioning everything, you know, in a normal job, if someone tells you, uh, Sophia, you jump, you're going to be like, why am I jumping? Whereas um, in the army, if they tell you to jump, just do it. Don't yeah. ask why. Just do it. That's just like a little analogy. Um, so they want to get that mentality out of you that really laid back being laid back as well They don't like that. They need you to be aware alert all the time Yeah, just have that awareness of your surroundings. It's just little things as a civilian You don't realize that you do until you've actually joined the, the army. So my goodness I know that is not my lane <laughs> hey, There's no way I can just about do a full circuit, you know what I'm saying? And you know, when the instructor is saying, you know, do 10 burpees, I'm looking at them saying 10 burpees, you know, and you're just about to do five. So I salute you, Lance Corporal Cooper. <laughs> it's so good. So, in terms of, I mean, you said you um, joined the army at the age of 26, and yes, I can imagine that is. Um, um, older um there's some who would start at like 18 so what led you what is your journey what's your backstory man in going into and joining the army um so i always knew i wanted to do something that was a lot more hands-on and arduous so uh, in my younger days i did think oh maybe 
joining the fire service, maybe the police. But the army was never really presented because, you know, black people don't really tend to, like, speak about the army or joining such establishment. But um, so I actually went to uni and studied social work and got into it. And but because social work is changing so much, it's a lot more desk. You're, you're not, you're, you've lost that sort of interaction with people and it's all paperwork. Yeah. And I was not really enjoying that lifestyle. Mm. Um, and I remember one time I saw this advert on telly, it was for Christmas. And, and there was some troops over in Afghanistan, I believe. And they were doing an interview and I was like, oh my gosh, it was really inspiring just seeing them like serving their country and just, you know, yeah, just that sort of thing. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm just going to get some more information on it. And at that point, it was just reserves. So I I decided to join the reserve army, which is basically part time. So I was still working, but Mm -hmm. just going in like once or twice a week and parading. And then as time went on, I was just like, you know what, I'm not really enjoying my sort of nine to five if that made it made mm-hmm. sense then and um yeah I took the plunge and just signed up for the regular army full-time army just went straight for it yeah and it, yeah it was I would say it's been a, the, one of the best decisions I've made it's awesome. definitely benefiting me 100%. Awesome. awesome what I like is your decision making process in terms of you knew that when you was finished your social work degree and you got sort of like a desk job, you knew it wasn't for you. And that's really important to know, you know, like what your values are and what suits your personality in terms of the type of job that you're looking for. For me, I know that I definitely require a job where I'm doing a lot of interaction with people, but it's so important that you listen to your true authentic self you listen to no this is what really makes me happy and just going for it but i'll tell you i just salute you for making that decision and you left your full-time position jamelia yeah wow sacrifices but it's paying off in the long run um but do you know what I'm, i've not put aside social work i still do want to utilize because i do enjoy that aspect of um the job but i want to do i'm trying to get to it in the army within the army so my my long-term or short-term goal actually is to get um into social work within the army so to be a welfare officer so if, yeah that's what i'm aiming to do so utilizing both so best of both worlds really you really know what your action plan is your career action plan is for your life so at the end of the day you are still going to be using the knowledge and the skills that you have um, gained isn't it from your university degree in social work that is amazing they're crying out for social workers they're absolutely crying out for social workers you know i'm always seeing advertising social work etc so that is amazing what other um roles are available within the army then goodness there's so many job roles available yeah. really anything you can think of you can do within the army um, so if you're technically minded, like the job role that I do, you can you can join the signals and work on laptops. We're we're sort of moving on, moving with technology. So if everything's becoming a lot more technologized, um, cyber and stuff like that. So you can you, if you're into that sort of thing, you can do that. If you want, if you're into medical, you can become a nurse in the army. You can be, become a doctor in the army. Oh, you can yes. become a medic, yes. engineer. Um, um, mechanic, 
you can do um, we've got the Royal Logistical, which deals with um, supplying and driving. You can go join the army and get every single category of um, your license that you desire, which if you were to do that in civilian street would call um, cost you thousands of pounds and you can join the army and get that from free from your cat B, your cat D, you can drive a tank, you can drive whatever. Um, you can become a chef, um, a, veterina a veterinarian. There's so many job roles that you can do. Um, it's just open book, really. Um, you just need to just search for it and it's just there. Awesome. Awesome. So tell us about the application process. If somebody wants to, you know, go through your particular route and work within the communications um, section of the British Army, what is the application process like? What did you have to do? So when you want to join, so if you make the decision that, okay, I want to join the British Army, first and foremost, you go onto the, the actual um, army website. Okay. If you know the job roles that you want to do, that's good but there's like a list of job roles that suit your personality you can take a little test to see what job role best suits you um however you select three job roles i think three to five i think they changed they've changed it now three to five job roles and um you put your application in so when you go through the application process at one point after all your medicals because they need to know that you're medically fit to join yeah, yeah. Um, to you what is called a selection day or select it's a two-day process where you do something called a bab test which is basically an intelligence test so they test you after you you do this written test and based on the results will tell you whether or not you can get your job role so if you wanted to if for instance you chose something like um, intelligence there's a part of the army called the intelligence core that you've got to have a really high IQ to like get that job role. Um, and if for some reason you weren't, you didn't score high enough, they'd probably say, okay, maybe you haven't scored high enough, but we can offer you, maybe you can be a mechanic, you can be an engineer. Right. So again, depending on your job roles, depends on um, what, it, how best you placed at that test. So you choose job roles according to your capability However, they will still work with you. So for instance, if you didn't get high, a high enough grade, you can then try again, maybe a later time or choose another job role and then transfer maybe in a couple of years when you reach that, that level. So there is always a ways to round it. So the application process basically is you choose your job roles, you go to selection, you get medically checked. That's a really big, important thing because a lot of people do get deferred. They're very specific about like your health which right. you know as a soldier you do need to be robust so that is understandable but as long as you pass the medical you've um you're pretty much in wow so what did you have to do to prepare because you're talking about you're using words like robust and you said medical and health quite a lot of times so i'm thinking that is quite a critical success factor as to whether you are successful at the end of the application process so what did you have to do to prepare so to prepare myself i definitely needed to get fit um yeah. uh yeah did i know about running no <laughs> <laughs> running ever part of my vocabulary no so definitely need, needed to go running I, I remember before i got to the stage of selection they had something called a pre-selection and um remember we um we were required to do a 1.5 mile run with under 15 minutes so 
we started the ru- running and I was like, yeah, this is nothing. I can run literally a hundred meters down the road. I'm like, <laughs> I'm out of breath and gas. They're crazy. I didn't wanting us to run. I didn't realize how long a mile and a half was. And that was a realization. Open my eyes to see, you need to get your fitness up. So from that day, I kept going to the park. I kept running. I joined a local gym and I just got my, um, my cardio up, my strength push-ups needed to get about 21 push-ups in two minutes and yeah 21 push-ups in two minutes i can just about do how many push-ups can i do i can do about um five (laughs) (laughs) five when i've done you know jamelia what else did you have to do um also um because it's, I think that the army is changing a lot more now because um, they go off back then. They went off um, your BMI a lot of the times and I'm a very muscular person. So I remember when they weighed me, they were like, your, your BMI is too high. Um, but then that was contested. They were like, no, actually she's fit. She's robust. I was able to pass the run in like 30 minutes and did the push-ups. I was strong enough to just complete all the other tests. So um, that was one thing. Um, the second thing to prepare me, you have to be a bit, you have to have a bit of confidence about you because um, you have to sort of introduce yourself and just present a topic of your choice in front of a group of people. And public speaking is hard for the best for anyone really. So, um, you know, they set little tasks for you to like, just build your confidence so that you'll, you know, you were a bit confident as to speak in front of like small groups of people awesome awesome so how many people are are there in the group observing your presentation oh my gosh so in selection you have about i would say about 20 other people with you that's just a group of potential soldiers and then um the instructors themselves is about five of them so we're talking about 25 people in total that you're standing in front of and presenting so yeah, it's not actually that small of a group when you when you think of it in that way. No, it's definitely a medium-sized group. So what did you talk about? What was your topic? Um, I just spoke about um, my why I wanted to join the army in terms of wanting to do something different because we all have a different story. And as I said, a lot of the, you know, um, recruits, that's what you're known as, recruits joining, they're quite young. So when, you know, you stand, a lot of them, they're like, yeah, I want to join the army because my dad, my mom was in the army and yeah. <laughs> my granddad was in the army. And they're like, okay, so they're just doing it because their family was in the army. Whereas for me, standing up, I was like, well, I'm literally the first in my family or immediate circle that's ever joined the army. So it was just, I just spoke about why, you know, I wanted to be the first to break, you know, break them all, be, be an example to like my cousins or um, younger siblings and stuff. Yeah. Oh, you are such an example. You are such an inspiration. You are such a role model. I'm telling you, you are the first black woman that I know that is serving in the British Army. So talk about your first year. What was that like? Oh my gosh. So my first year, so anyone's first year is predominantly training. Okay. So as I said before, the first three months um, of joining, it's basic training where you're marching around everywhere. You're just I was at my skinniest. Let's just say I, I left my phase one training slim and trim. I don't think I'll ever be that way again, <laughs> unfortunately. But just intense training. Um, and then you move on to your trade training. So 
um, my job role again, communication system operator. Um, I've, um, basically, it's like going back to school, going back to college. And, um, you know, you go there and you've got lessons Monday to Friday. You're just learning about the kit and equipment that you're going to be working with. And it's a lot more relaxed, but it's, it's very book heavy, if that makes sense. Because in order for you to pass that part of your training, you need to like pass every section of the curriculum that they present to you. And then you get tested at the end of it. So I would say I spent almost a year. So basically my first year in the army has predominantly been training. Training, training, training. Training. So you're not really working in a a specific job role. You are, when you say training, are you also learning about the army, learning about the values, the ethos and the cardio training and things like that as well? In in your basic training, in the first three months, you do learn about the values and standards of the army. That is drilled into you. That will never leave me. It's drilled into you so much that you probably wake up in the middle of the night and just shout out the, the courage, respect for others, integrity, loyalty, selfless commitment. See how I can just say verbatim because it's just constantly in your air. Mm. So you learn about that in your phase one training and fitness. And then phase two, again, it's learning the kit and equipment and they still enforce fitness because first and foremost, you need to ha- have that robustness about you. So that's something that you will never escape, ever escape. So what type of um, challenges have you had to overcome throughout? Because you've been in the British Army for, is it about six years now? Yeah. Yes. So what stories can you share with us on the things that you've had to overcome throughout that time? Um, things that, for me, again, being a minority, um, you know, black people are a minority in the army. That's one full stop. The end. But as a black woman, that's even um, in a smaller category. So I think at in the beginning it was like a shock of okay, I don't have there's not any other black female to relate to, sort of thing. I was literally known as the black girl, um, in a non-racist way. Um, oh, the black girl, you know. I don't think I would like that. One of my really good friends. She's actually one of my best mates now in the army. Um, we've, we've been through phase one training, phase two, and we're now at our working unit together. And I remember in phase two training, we were known as like the black girl and the white girl. That's because we were always together. And, but yeah, it was just, that was for me, what one thing I had to overcome was just like, okay, there's no one else that, that looks like me. There were a few black guys, but there was no, no other really black females to, to sort of relate to. And um, it's just when you're in the army, having sort of spent um growing up in london it's yeah. very diverse but when you join the army you meet people from all walks of life yeah. i've met, met scottish people welsh northern irish people from up north and a lot of them have not really in, sort of interacted with black people so right. I mean, I've been asked like silly questions or silly questions to me like oh oh my gosh your hair that was a main thing they were so oh. upset with my hair and I'm like it's just like what is so different about it so just being asked like like little silly questions about that I felt it felt really I, I don't know how to explain it it was just a weird sensation coming from London where everyone black white Asian doesn't matter everyone's the same to you know you sort of went into like oh my gosh Cooper's like a celebrity because she's like the only black girl so I would say that was the um 
one thing to overcome. Um, it, I never felt like, no one was ever like racist to me or anything, but it was just different. You felt different, if that made any sense. Mm. Well, yeah. you felt different because you knew that you was the first, the only mm. black um, female within your um, intake for that yeah. particular year. Okay. But nobody made you feel, um, and you don't feel that you have experienced any form of discrimination or anything like that. Okay. I've been fortunate in my, in my career to have not experienced yeah. Really good. I know other people have experienced it, but yeah. me, hand and heart, I can say I've never experienced it, which is really good. And let's hope that continues on. Yeah, because I tell you, the one thing that I done some research and I just typed in the British Army and it came up with their website, and um, and there was a picture of um, soldiers in line, but the first face was a black woman, natural hair. And I was like, oh, wow, that is so amazing. That's so good to see that. Because I was watching a news, um, I think it was BBC News. Mm -hmm. I was watching BBC News and they had a reporter talking about a female who was champion, you know, diversity within the army um, and, you know, ensuring that, you know, as black women, we can wear our hair how we want to and to not be, you know, discriminated against because of that in terms of how we wear our hair and the issues with regards that she has faced with wearing her hair in natural or protective styles. So for the majority of my career, I've had protective styles in so I've braided my hair twists everything be just because it was just so much easier as you said especially in training you'd be you'd be you have 10 minutes to go from being muddy to like put your drill kit on and you're like how am I gonna get my natural hair to like how am I gonna comb my hair in like less than 10 minutes so I had a lot of prote protective styles my braids my twists in for the majority of um that time but now I'm just getting so, so much more comfortable where I'm like, it's okay to have my natural hair out. And I think the army is actually doing a lot better. Um, I know back in the days, you could probably speak to another black female who may have, who may have had different, ex who may have had a different experience. But for me, because the army is sort of progressing, um, they're a lot more open. They're more, you get a lot more freedom. So I can comb my, as long as it's neat, and I can put my beret on, which is a, a headdress. That's all they're concerned about. It's neat. My beret can go on. It can, um, if my hair's long enough to go um, in a bun neatly, that's all they care about. So as you can see, I'm rocking the natural. And I've had oh, my hair love it. for a long time. I don't have any. I don't really have to worry about having my protective styles or anything. Mm. All their concern is, is can Cooper have her hair neat? And that's it seen like for like male guys who have locks or who've got like long hair they've they've been exempt in a way where they've gone they've spoken to the chain of command meaning the guy high up and said listen because of maybe my religion or my culture and my hair I can't cut my hair and they've been allowed so I've seen a lot of guys with with <laughs> But the only thing they do is it's just kept neat. That's the main thing that they're, they're, um, they focus on. Can your hair stay neat? Can you wear your headdress? And that, that's all they're concerned about. So I think that I would definitely say the army's going a long way now in terms of 
just moving with times, you know, we're all different, we've all got different hair types. So. Yeah, they have to, they have to move with time, you know, because a lot of these um, government departments, you know, they have the same rhetoric, you know, in terms of they want to recruit a more diverse workforce, yes. uh, you know, the police, the fire brigade and the army as well. Um, but we all know the statistics do not lie that there are um, low recruits in terms of um, the ethnic minorities in the army. So if there was somebody who are listening to it on our podcast and they're really interested in getting into the army, just unsure about whether they should join the army, what wise words would you say to them to encourage them to do that? They're on the fence. Yes. They're on the fence and they're not sure whether they should take that plunge, you know, and make the call or send that email to get an application for. <laughs> they are from an ethnic minority background. What would you say to encourage them to join the army? Just go for it, take the plunge. There's, it's worth the risk because at the end of the day, from the time you apply to the British army to the point of getting in, you can always change your mind. You're only locked into a contract sort of six weeks into your basic training. Yeah. So from the time you, so you're, you're on the fence, you're like, oh, I don't know if I should do this. This is going to be the right decision. You apply throughout mm. that process up until six weeks into training. You can say, actually, you know what? This is not for me. So you get to training and you're like, I don't like the way this man's speaking to me. I don't like the way they're shouting at me or I feel a bit uncomfortable. You can withdraw and nothing will be said. So mm. I think... It, you have that opportunity to experience a, a bit of the army so you know whether or not, you know, you want to continue on. And again, for me, it's just, even if you're locked into a four-year contract, you're still getting paid. You're still getting the opportunity to do sports, adventurous training. I can list a number of things that I've done within the army that I would not have been able to do in civilian street. Wow. So, Really, my four years served has definitely paid off. So any uncertainty is definitely going to pay, be paid off when you're skiing in France somewhere in a chalet. And you're like, what? <laughs> I love it. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. So we have talked about, you know, why you decided to join the army. Um, you've given us insight into the different roles of the British army and your um, responsibilities as a Lance Corporal. Is that right? Yeah, Lance Corporal. Yeah, Lance Corporal. <laughs> and um, let's talk about the things that you are most proud of. So throughout your service it's service isn't it that's the word we're at your service in the british army tell us about any of your major proud moments that you know you have experienced so far okay so my top moment i was thinking about this my top moment is taking part in royal wedding oh wow so i did not so in my unit we um we assist in ceremonial duty so we provide situational awareness to the royals okay. um, so uh, be having because of the royal wedding um i was given the opportunity to sort of just um it's called street marking basically you're standing and you're just looking just to ensure that everything's going okay got a little headpiece in um, airpiece sorry not headpiece so if anything is a bit dodge we can speak to the ops room they're sat in a room again they're looking at what's happening we can say to them okay something looks a bit dodge over there 
and you know it's again situational awareness yeah. so oh, wow. I thought okay that's my job role boom that's it uh, when it came to it they were like right okay you operators you're gonna march out so when Windsor well um we're near Windsor Castle. So they were like, right, you guys are going to march into Windsor Castle. This is a rehearsal, by the way. I was like, what? March? So in my uniform, the streets are just packed with reporters. And I'm marching to Windsor Castle. I've marched into Windsor Castle. And I'm like, this is actually happening. And on the actual wedding, I'm like, I am actually marching through the streets. BBC is just, the camera's just there looking at me. And I'm marching all smartly, like, and everyone's just waving their flags and just cheering. And I'm like, never in a million years did I think this would ever happen. And at the end of it, I've been, I was sent so many photos of people saw like um, screen grabs of me on telly and they said, oh, Coops, we saw you. And I'm just like, I've just been on TV. I've just marched in Windsor Castle. I just saw the queen, I just saluted the queen. I've just seen all these celebrities and royals just walk past me and I'm just at attention. Mind blowing. Which ones did you see? Which ones did you see? Oh my gosh, Idris Elba. Oh, that was the nice. Um, I saw Serena Williams. I saw Oprah, David Beckham, Victoria. Um, what's her face? Uh, Megan's friend from. Um, I don't know if you ever looked at the program um, Suits. No, I've never watched it, but I know it. it. Yeah. So I was a big fan of it. So the fact that I saw all of the cast like walking, oh. I'm like. Oh my, oh my gosh, saw a um, lot of the royals. I saw um, William, Kate, and all the kids. They were driving by because obviously, with the kids, they wouldn't have been able to walk. Yeah. Uh, it was just so surreal to just to see that, like, see celebrities and see royals in up and personal, really. Yeah. So, definitely the highlight of my career would be that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Because one of my sister friends, um, Jeanette Young, she was the stylist for the Kingdom Choir as well. So I didn't know that you were part of the wedding type of thing, security. So I know I know two people who were who attended the royal wedding. How great is that, huh? <laughs> Brilliant. Representing. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I hope that those who are listening today we'll be able to get a really good insight into the British Army into your route that you have taken so if we're thinking about the types of skills and qualities that are needed for Lance Corporal what would you say are the top three soft skills that are needed? Um, I would say um, you need to be very assertive, confident Confident and assertive can be more or less the same thing. Um, sort of down to earth. Mm. Yeah. I wanted to say a bit more, but yeah, there's, there's so, yeah, definitely I would say the top three, um, you have to have that confidence and assertive because if you don't have that confidence, you're just going to be walked all over. Um, and you need to be assertive. So, you know, Sophia, you need to do that. You, you know, you can't just have like, oh, can you do that? No, can you do that sort of thing? Be really assertive and yeah. And um, again, outspoken. So it's, they all sort of tie into basically being confident really. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's important. Cause you know, when you were saying that um, you have to be assertive and you have to be confident and a lot of people find um, challenges with being assertive and assertive just basically means that you have a right 
to say what is on your mind and yeah. to not be fear of any judgment or any um, you know repercussion of based on what you have just shared you know and being assertive is such a quality um, that is definitely desirable for somebody in the British Army because you have to be able to communicate maybe sometimes quite um, I don't know um, important information to people but in a direct you know, an assertive way so that people know the severity of it and that they have to act very quick. So, yeah, I would definitely agree with those um, top three soft skills. I found also that, you know, having those qualities has, has definitely sort of changed my, my demeanour. And at one point I, I did find that, you know what, I'm getting really angry. I'm becoming a really angry person. And it's just because it's it's balancing you know, you've gone from being a, you know, sort of gentle person to sort of being a lot more, again, assertive and, you know, just saying what needs to be said. But then sometimes you can tip the scale a bit too much and that angry part of you can come out. And I've definitely experienced it and have managed it. So, yeah, it's, about, it's all about balance, I would say, um, at the same time. What sort of like um, personal development, did you do on yourself in order to maintain that balance? Definitely my faith, my, my religion, my being, you know, being Christian, that definitely played a big impact because, you know, I had to have a word with myself and I'm just like, no. A word, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this isn't right. Like, Jack, what are you, you doing? You know, you see, when you start saying your own name, you know, <laughs> right. Definitely just read getting back into the word, and because sometimes again, that's another thing that's that was another barrier I would say I would have had to overcome. Because joining the army, you go into sort of like a hostile environment, they use a lot of strong language sometimes. Oh, sometimes yeah. it's not personal, it's just that getting that aggression out. Um, and you know, it was that balance of okay, right, I need to sort of sort of stay away from that sort of bad language sort of aggressiveness and like delve back into my faith so definitely just reconnecting reading my bible again and just reconnecting with church and stuff got me that balance you know praying and just asking for patience because trust me honestly joining the army i've met some interesting people yes i can imagine they will That's test pushing your buttons isn't it pushing your buttons yeah my goodness i've gone from obviously gone to uni i've um traveled took a gap here i've traveled um um and i've met all different types of people but by far the army i've met the most special people ever i've been there jamelia i believe to um to teach you a lesson you know to make you much more resilient mm. in your journey within the army, you know? So I think it's all good, you know, all good. Yes. Oh my gosh, it is. It really is. <laughs> it's a less light. It's like a lesson of life, isn't it? Really? Yeah, most definitely. So, you know, we're talking about career journey, your particular career journey and everything. And, you know, you've been in the army now for six years. I mean, where do you see yourself in the next five years? So I am hoping in the, within the next, by that time, but I, I've said like three years, I'd hope to have promoted to corporal. So awesome. in the next 
step up the ladder again is corporal. So Lance Corporal to Corporal. I'd hope to be a corporal and um, also um, be really brilliant to be um, working in the welfare sector. So to make that transition from a communication system operator to a welfare officer, that would that within the next five years, corporal working in the wealth in the welfare sector in the army is what my aspirations are at the moment. Awesome. Sounds good, sounds good because I'm sure that the skill set in terms of um, social work, welfare, you know, um, mental health, you know, mm-hmm. looking after people's health and well-being, I'm sure that is very much needed an asset for the army, you know. So I'm sure that you will achieve that without a shadow of a doubt. If there is somebody who is seeking to join the army, they've made their minds up, or even they're still a bit unsure, they've listened to your inspirational career journey so far of, you know, serving in the British Army, but they just want that little bit more information, where should they go? Um, First and foremost, um, it's all over social media. So whatever social platform you've got, be it Facebook to Instagram to Snapchat, you can just type in British Army and there's going to be a lot of information there. But the best place to go is um, online. Just Google British Army and all of the information's there. They're really wanting people to join. There's so many incentives at the moment. Even better incentives than when I joined. Like incentives? Incentives like financial incentives. They're, yeah. they're saying to you that if you join and um, you complete your training, that you, you're possibly eligible for like 10 grand really just like that just like that but you've got to complete after the six weeks training you're eligible for that 10 grand sign me up (laughs) six weeks but um and the your phase two training also so all of your training so maybe let's just say a year of training but a year of training 10 grand uh yeah i'll take the 10 grand thank you for a year of training Break this down for me. So after, whilst you're doing the one-year training, are you paid a salary? Oh, yes, you are. So in phase one training, which is the first three months, it's a basic wage. You're on peanuts, really. Um, 19 grand a year is what you, you'll be earning. But if you think of it, I, can, I thought phase one was basically prison because you're not spending, you're not going to spend your money and you're not going to have anything, anywhere to go to. You're just in that place for three months um, and they feed you. You don't have to pay for food. You don't have to pay for accommodation. So what you get paid literally just sits in your account, really. Obviously phone bill and just like minor bills and stuff will come out, but your expenditure is very minute. So even though it's a little money, it's it's okay. Then when you move to phase two training, your wage then goes up. I think you're on twenty one grand a year. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you're not really spending that much because you should be in sort of training. However, when you get to your working unit, you then go up. That's when the whole sort of private lance corporal when that kicks in. That's when you start climbing the ladder, and that's the incentive for progression. If you want to earn more money, you do. You you get competent in your job role you get promoted and you get paid more. So I see what you mean. I see what you mean. So for that, say first year of training, then you, well, obviously, because it's training, isn't it? So you're not be thinking about, you know, buying 
you know, your luxury items that you would be doing if you was a civilian type of thing, isn't it? As you said, you've got your accommodation paid for, your food is paid for. So what do you need? Maslow hierarchy of needs is all sorted at the end of the day. As we're now coming to the end, um, I want you to leave some lovely wise words of wisdom, some encouragement to somebody who could be listening to this podcast and thinking about they wanted to join the British Army. What would you tell them? My, my um, parting words are just take the plunge, do it, sign up, experience something different, travel, have the opportunity to just see the world, you know, try adventurous training like I've done, skiing, you know, parachuting, play sports and get paid for playing sports. Do you know what I mean? Like the world's your oyster. Get skills and qualifications that you can then transfer to sort of Civvy Street, you know, if you're not wanting to go to uni or get student debts, just let the army pay for it. You can go to sort of, you can get your qualifications in the army. Even if you've left secondary school without any GCSEs, they will build you up. They will put you on courses to get your basic diplomas and you can progress and go to uni and the army can pay for that. Use the army for, um, to progress yourself and, and you will come up a better person from it. Hey everyone, this is your host Sophia Lewis and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Employability Matters, a careers and job related podcast where we dive into all topics associated with the world of work. Thank you for subscribing, I very much appreciate your support and remember to share with your family and friends. It would be appreciated if you could leave a great review on our YouTube channel, Anchor FM, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I will be back next week for another great episode. So until then, remember, employability matters. <music>